the opinion line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. That's a bit disturbing to see another fire in, in Blackpool this morning, and that's only like down the road to a couple of doors down from three degrees where they had that terrible fire a week and a week and a half ago. Actually, I see in this morning the GoFundMe page that was set up to help the girls at three degrees. There's the bones of 14 grand in there now, which would be brilliant for them. And the local support they were getting after that fire was really heartening for for Kira and the girls down there. But I see there in the news and Vic's got it at nine, a fire in a barber shop. Uh, around quarter to five this morning and that barbershop is only a hop, skip and a jump if not even less than that um, just down the road from, from, from three degrees that's sad 1850-715-996 text to whatsap 083-396-9696 email opinion at 96fm.ie twitter is at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. Of course, you can get us to the Cork 96FM Facebook page and address your messages for the attention of the opinion line. Now, there were many photographs going around on social media last night of Cork City Centre or particularly places in Cork City Centre. The city itself, you couldn't have described it as heaving last night in particular, but there were certain, what you might call, pinch spots where there were big crowds gathering at a time when, let's face it, big crowds should not be gathering. There's also a very viral photo of the famous Spanish arch in Galway this morning and there's picture of students, hundreds of them literally body to body in under the Spanish arch. Now when you consider that Galway and Cork are two places that Neffet are watching closely and the warning is, I think you can almost take it as a given now, that we'll be up to level three by the end of the week. What the hell were people doing out and about last night in such large numbers anyway and if they were out and if they had to be out then why didn't they do the things like social distance properly now Councillor Des Cahill uh, Des, was, were, they, were they your pictures that you put up on Twitter? Yeah, I, I drove in just to take a, a, take a, take a look right. uh, to see what town was like um, just cognizant of the fact that you know we're at week and so on and so forth so yeah, yeah. I was, it was upsetting to see them now at the same time I suppose it's clear that even from the pictures you see some of them were wearing masks so you know, without wanting to label people, I think there were probably, I think probably most of them went out with good intentions. Yeah. And as the night went on, you know, they, they, they you know, they, they forgot or they, they just, they, they switched back into, into pre-COVID mode and it's just very frustrating and, um, you know, you're right and it's not just in Cork, it's, 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 it's in Galway and, and, and I have no doubt in, 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 in Dublin and Limerick as well. Um, but I suppose part of the problem is, like, we have all the guidelines in the world, but there's certain laws that need to be brought in to, to make the guidelines effective. Mm. Um, we know, read at the weekend that despite all the toing and froing with that various um, legislation, there is no law. There's, the law is not the law. The guards can come and ask you to move on, but beyond that, they've little or no power. Yeah, and that must be frustrating for the... Uh, that's frustrating for everyone. I mean, for the guards included. Um, I went out on Saturday for dinner. We got the bus in, and there was somebody on the bus not wearing a mask. Everyone else was, you know. Then in town, um, we ate in town, and there was, you know, there was a good few people around on the footpaths, but they weren't really moving. And you were kind of, 
you know, but then you go into the restaurant with some peck and be done. Um, so there's just gaps in it, and there's no one there to say, listen, you can't do that. You know, it's not, it's, it's against the law. And, um, I'm just, it's just very, I think we just need to, I think the, you know, the, the, the Doyle and the Senate need to go back and now, now they need to start implementing, changing some of these recommendations into laws. It's a big long piece in the Mail on Sunday about how these laws are the, the big lack of authority that you can have all the recommendations and all the restrictions and all the guidelines you want, but there's actually no law to, to back them up worth talking about. Yeah, and I think if you look, if you look at the start, I think everybody played their part. And I think, we, you know, without a law being brought in, I suppose, there was the very small pocket, but by and large, the, 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 the people of Ireland were brilliant and they, they got behind how to try and get this done. And we did. Um, you know, so it can be done. And I think, you know, COVID fatigue has probably kicked in um, with a lot of people and they're frustrated and so on. And they probably feel, if we didn't get it by now, we won't get it type of attitude. I don't know. Um, and I think that's why, you know, we may have got away with not, ha- not having laws made then. But I think now as the time goes on, you know, you know, appealing for people's personal responsibility uh, isn't enough. It's, mm. it's needed, and they, we need to encourage people to do the right thing. Um, but I just don't think it's enough at this stage. Now, your own party, councillor, was in government then and now. So Yeah, and I don't know why they haven't. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of peculiar. I think a lot of us, I'm no different to, 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 to you or any of the listeners, Peter, where a lot of the stuff that would be strongly recommended, I kind of thought they were laws, to be frank. Um, I wasn't aware that unless you drill down right into it that they weren't. Um, so I don't know why they haven't. Uh, I don't know. Well, equally, you're not hearing anyone else shouting. You're not hearing many other political parties jumping up and down trying to fix this with laws either. Um, laws can be brought to the to the front of the toil from either side of the house. Yeah. So... But is there a reason, is the Attorney General, is there a reason why some of them can't be made laws? I don't know. But certainly I'd like, I'd like I will be looking for an answer from it, was why they're not being made into law. I mean, at the same time, look, you have shop owners and you have, you have shop owners who are asking people when they come in, and even with, there's been examples around, and asking people to put a mask on and told they won't. And then, so some shops are saying, okay, don't come in anymore. So, like, no, no shop owner wants to tell, ever tell a customer not to come in again. Well, there's I could tell you now, and I won't name them on the air. I'd happily name them to you off the air because you'd know the premises very, very well. Mm. A premises that has a well-known premises has in, in your area, shall we say, uh, where staff have been told you are not to challenge people. If they won't wear a mask, don't challenge them. Yeah, because there's no law. There's no law. Now, I'm a great believer... By the way, and I get, we're getting off the point here, but I'm a great believer in a sign in the door, no mask, no service. And, and I, I would stick to it rigidly. No mask, no service. Yeah, because Why I'm, can't we do that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and I do actual shops because shops have the right to, right to, right to refuse, etc. Are they entitled to do it anyway mm. um, without a law? Uh, you know, are they covered because it's their own premises? You know, it's you know, shop policy, whatever the case may be. Mm. But because, to be fair, I mean, we all continue to obviously go to shops because we have to shop, we need to get supplies and so on. And to see the efforts that, that most are making, and you can see the physical expense to it because there's extra people there to, to 
ensure the cleanliness and yeah. ensure the masks, etc., etc. Um, and then for for people just to have an attitude of the law, you know, well, the rules doesn't apply to me. Just to get back to where we were with the photographs that you took last night. Yeah, there was a bit of a pile on on social media when you put them up. People saying, "Oh, you're only hitting out at the young people. You're only hitting out at the students. You're only hitting out at people out living their lives." No, well, that wasn't my intention. I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't distinguishing between who was a student and who wasn't. And I think, to be fair, the photographs would just show some people wearing masks. I equally, I was out. As I said, I went for dinner on Saturday, and I felt personally, I felt that the footpaths were too full. So even, and this was an older generation, so, mm. you know, I, it, it's not, I'm not labelling any particular group here. And in fact, Professor John O'Halloran, who's the acting president of UCC, had sent out a very stern message yesterday to the students. Um, but it's the, I think it's potentially, it's the herd mentality. The herd mentality can happen in any age group. It's not a particular, um, it's not particularly attached to just 18-year-olds. It can equally a herd mentality of 38-year-olds. So... Um, I've seen know, plenty yeah. of misbehaviour by far older age groups I've seen plenty of places exactly. where people who are old enough to know better shall we say, standing outside cheek by jowl waiting to get in for a pint Exactly, exactly and I mean, as I said I thought the footbats were too busy there was too many people of more my age I suppose and I was kind of concerned about that um, I, I think, you know, if we concentrate I think you know, I, I think a little bit of the out, the outdoor eating and the outdoor dining in court needs to be spread because if it's concentrated, it'll just concentrate the people. It needs to be spread and, and thin out the people. But again, it's it's about it's a common sense approach that people have to have. Um, and if you don't feel comfortable in it yourself, you should just move away. Well, that's the personal responsibility element of it, and I know people who actually have done that. Yeah. People who've made the decision, well, I was going to go in for a pint or a bite to eat, but you know what? I'm not going to go there now. I was going to go in and have a walk around that shop, but I'm not going to go there now. I was going to go to the cinema, but it looks a bit busy. I'm not going there now. That's personal responsibility. Most people are like that, I think. I'd hope, I'd hope you were right. I, I, I somehow doubt that you are, Des. But thank you very much for your time this morning. That's Des Cal, uh, 1857-15996. A lot of pile on, on Twitter last night saying, oh, you're giving out to the students, you're coming down hard on the students and the young people. No, no. I saw plenty of misbehaviour myself over the weekend. I was out for a very quiet, very carefully socially distanced point myself on Saturday night with a good friend of mine. We barely left the table for the night. We wore our masks going to the toilet and all of that. And we were there for about two hours. And as I left the premises, I could see other premises nearby not exactly taking any care of the rules at all at all. 1850-715-996. Jerry says they're talking about laws and more laws. But the only reason you need that is because the spirit of the country is bad. More laws mean more suffocation, and it's all coming from disrespect and drunkenness. Laws won't fix that. It's the spirit you need to change. 1850 715996. Just getting back to that fire in Blackpool, Gardy are at the scene still. It looks like they say an incident of vandalism. Uh, the House of Handsome is the name of the place. Uh, and uh, thanks very much to Kevin who let us know about this, all this extra detail. We've put in a query uh, to see can we get any more on that. 1857-15996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the indoor self-service laundrette Now at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road Every day washing and drying Done within an hour Selfservicelaundry.ie
For 20 minutes of the best music mix and everything Cork on Cork's 96 FM. I play new music all this week from the likes of Joel Corey, DJ Regard, and more. We hear from the stars. Joel Ipa, your career highlights so far. Um, oh wow. Um, I did Glastonbury, which is a massive milestone for me at home. Niall Horan, how many Canadians do you have on your phone? Justin Bieber, Shawn Mendes, Shania Twain, Michael Bublé. Show off. Don't forget our daily Facebook question and I play Cork's best music mix online, on your smart speaker, the Cork's 96 FM app, and on FM. Weekdays from midday. With the White Rabbit Bar and Barbecue. A brand new look with the same great food and service. See whiterabbit.ie. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Corks 96 FM. Kate says the laws are very draconian in Spain. The police there can just come up to you and make you turn around if the area is too busy. It's a totally different attitude. I wonder if we could do it more of the Spanish way in this crisis. Oh, Kate, I tell you one thing. You won't ignore the police yellow cal when they tell you to go home. You're not wrong. Dan says even the premises that have good social distancing inside, outside you have huddles waiting to get in, smoking or dawdling. I thought a place was only allowed open if they posed no danger to the public health and they are responsible for this. And there's a lot of people around, a lot of pictures around of pubs and restaurants and other places. They're probably very well social distanced inside. They're probably following all the rules and all the regs inside. And then you got this queue, cheek by jowl, maybe wearing masks. But remember, a mask is not a hazmat suit. Maybe wearing masks outside, but they're cheek by jowl, standing in the street talking to each other and getting around in big groups and that's the problem we ate in a place two weeks ago it was a disgrace I messaged them afterwards still waiting for a response people sitting in the bar waiting on their table while people ate on the bar with no barrier people were served drinks at the front bar too I won't be going back there. And then didn't we see it's on the front page of the mail I think this morning and it's in the sun as well if I think if I got that right Ronan Glynn has now said that there's over 70 cases in Cork that they have managed to trace back to restaurants and pubs. So, well, maybe not the wet pubs because they only opened last week, but 70 cases traced back to restaurants and bars. So, just because they're all saying, oh, it couldn't happen in my place, it clearly is happening. Another place that's happening is in direct provision centres. And we heard the one story last week of four cases came to light four cases in the Kinsale Road Centre. And of course, since the very start of the pandemic, we've looked at direct provision. We've looked at the circumstances in which people are forced to live in direct provision. And we've known deep in our hearts that you couldn't be in a more dangerous place with a pandemic in the community because there's no distancing. There's big groups of people sharing small spaces and it must be very difficult for them. And um, a lot of them have a language barrier, so they don't understand. And it must be very frightening to be stuck in the middle of all of that. And McShane is a solicitor representing a lot of families living in direct provision in Cork. And good morning to you. Hi, good morning. You, you, you've raised the point that a lot of these people are living in fear, A, of the virus, of, or B, 
of what will happen to them if they get the virus. Yes. So basically, I contacted the Echo after there was an article uh, published by uh, an interview with Jackie O'Riordan and Mike Fitzgibbon at UCC, who produced a book about direct provision generally and the ill effects of direct provision. And obviously, this is only one of a number of books that we've had and reports about what an inhuman system direct provision is to put people into enforced confinement along with you know, dozens, sometimes hundreds of other people waiting for the asylum claim to be heard. But COVID-19 and my experiences in COVID-19 as a solicitor representing people have just been harrowing. The stories that I'm hearing from people, in principle, their fear and their fear, as you say, of COVID because like people are sharing bedrooms with, you know, people that they would never have known before. 50% of people are sharing bedrooms and people are sharing bathroom facilities, kitchen facilities, laundry facilities. And some people obviously have got jobs and they're going out to work and then they're coming back. And there's a great amount of fear about the possibility that the person who's gone to work is going to be coming back with the COVID pandemic. And that causes enormous fear and resentment towards the people that are working, who, you know, and obviously those people are entitled to work and it's good they're working. But the, the, the thing is that if they're bringing COVID back, which has obviously happened in a number of centres, yeah. they're bringing it back from the community into the direct provision centre. But then it's the direct provision centre that's under the spotlight as being somehow, you know, the problem. Well, um, the, the, the reason you have the problem there, of course, as you well know, Anne, is that the close confinement of, of so many people and the fact that you might be infected today at work but you might not show any symptoms for five or six days and you'll be infectious for three of those days so before you know you, you've got your own sore throat your own temperature and have your own test you could have infected half the centre and people are living in fear of that well exactly I mean look you saw what happened in Karasavim where so many people were infected and where they ended up being effectively locked up for weeks People are really afraid, not only of the, of, the, of the pandemic, obviously people who have health problems, and many of my clients do, you know, women who are pregnant, people who've got diabetes, living in those circumstances, they're at risk day in, day out, all day long. But they're also, they're also really worried about ghettoisation and about being blamed for the COVID. Like, and some of them have had experiences where it's been said to them when they've been dropping their children off to school, you're the COVID people. You know, that's kind of idea that yeah. somehow because they're migrants, it's a ridiculous idea, but the fact that they're migrants, they're, they stand out and mm. they can be looked at as being the cause of the problem. So, and people are afraid to speak out. And obviously people are afraid to speak out because their, their claims are being assessed and they've come from countries where they've lived under brutal regimes, where they've been persecuted by governments. And they just are afraid. And also, I think that, to be fair... Like, lots of us have been speaking out for years, and it doesn't seem to be getting heard. Like, earlier this year, we were told that direct provision was going to go and it was going to be a new system, but we haven't seen that new system. Mm. Now I've heard that this isn't going to happen until next year, and that's too late. We're now facing into a second wave. We're in the second wave. I've just this morning been listening to a number of doctors on the radio saying congregated settings are the problem. Yeah. We must close down those congregated settings and those people must be given their own homes. 
Where would exactly. we put them, though, Anne, as a matter of interest? Well, well, like, obviously, like, I'm not the person to know exactly where all the housing options are in Cork or elsewhere, but I do know there are plenty of holiday villages that are empty. There's student accommodation that's empty. There are plenty of facilities there. And they need to move those people and give them the humanity of knowing that when they close their door in the evening, like I do when I walk into my house, that I'm safe. They need safety. I mean, refugees have come to Ireland seeking safety. And we've put them, as you said earlier, in one of the most unsafe, dangerous environments that there is. Not only the effects, as I've been arguing, others have been arguing for years, on them of being in such a, uh, an institution... But now the fact that they're there um, in a dangerous, in, in a health, in the middle of a pandemic, I really think that the government must do something immediately. Like, I know that there's lots of testing happening, but that's not going to ha- really help, I think, if the, if the virus is in and out of the centres. Like, you know, you can't, well, you shouldn't lock people in as they did in Carousel I mean, that was an appalling situation. People went on hunger strike over that. People are very traumatised when they look at Carasavi. What happens now, Anne, when somebody tests positive in, in a centre? Where are they isolated? Not that I'm looking for an address or anything, but what, yeah. what facility is used to isolate them? I, I saw actually, in response to the piece that the equity with me, the, exact, the HSE responded and said that people are isolated and I believe there's a national centre but I'm not sure where it is. Well, there was the city west, but that that's supposed yeah. to go. That that contract is up know. next month. I don't know, but they're taken from the centre and right. they're isolated. Okay. And well, I don't know thing. where. But also that I think that you know, like if I if I come in contact with somebody or I test positive, I stay at home unless I have to go to hospital. Like these people are then put in another like institution. They're isolated in another institution, and. I think that I think that's a real uh, ghettoisation and the victimisation of people who are already vulnerable. It doesn't, and it's also, I think it kind of overcomplicates everything. You know, surely the simplest thing is people have their homes. As I've said to you, I believe there are empty holiday villages. I believe that there's plenty of own door accommodation available in Cork County and city, and that if people could live in those places, and then if there's a fear of them, they stay at home. Okay. They don't have to be transported to isolation centres. And, you know, the last thing, or perhaps, I don't know if, if, if it is my last point, but one of the things for me as a lawyer is the ability of a person to give me full and proper instructions in their case. Yeah. And the stress of this COVID pandemic on people in direct provision is affecting that. People are so frightened. They're confused. And, you know, they haven't got uh, the clarity of mind to be able to tell me exactly what's going on for them, you know, to tell me about their cases in an effective way so I can argue on their behalf and put forward the representations. And surely that's something that's important as well, very important for them to be able to have their solicitor know exactly uh, what their experiences were in the past, what the uh, uh, physical and mental uh, torture, etc., that they suffered in, you know, Iraq, Iran, Russia, wherever. But in the situation where they're living now, where they're under so much stress and fear, their minds are confused and mm-hmm. it's extremely difficult for them. And I think that that's a really important question okay. for the Irish government and the authorities to consider when, when, when looking at this issue. And I really do think, 
I can't put it strongly enough. This has to end now, really. It's got to go. Okay, okay. And leave it there for today. Thanks very much. That's Anne McShane. She's a solicitor representing dozens of people in direct provision across Munster, not just Cork. And there was a plan in the programme for government to end direct provision and replace it with something more humane. Now it looks as if that won't even be thought about until next year, possibly even until the pandemic is over. Anne's point is, actually, that's too late. You need to do something now. Because if you get a case of COVID into a direct provision centre and the person might be asymptomatic and they could be going around spread, before you know it, you could have a huge cluster in the centre. And you know the danger with clusters? For an awful lot of people, and I was trying to do this on Twitter last night, some people just don't want to know. Yeah, for 90-something percent of people, this will be grand. It'll be a bad cold or a heavy flu-type illness, and you'll feel shite for a week and a half, and then you'll be grand. And that is for most people. But for a lot of people, it isn't like that. People die, and we've talked to young, healthy people with long COVID who are still sick six months later. Do you really want to be the person who has a mild illness yourself and passes it on to somebody who might still be sick six months later or worse still, to someone who might die from this blasted thing? That's the personal responsibility you need to be taking up. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With a solid fuel depot. Now located at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Coal, gas, kiln-dried wood and briquettes. For collection or delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie It's really important we continue our efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. New government guidelines have now made mask wearing mandatory in shops, supermarkets, shopping centres and on public transport. Retail staff must also wear a mask unless there's a two metre distance or a partition. Disposable masks should only be worn once. Cloth masks should be washed daily and multiple masks should be used in rotation. If a mask becomes damp or wet, it's no longer effective and should be changed. Remember, when touching your mask, wash or sanitize your hands. Help stop the spread of coronavirus and stay safe. I've been trying to keep my distance. Keep up to date with the latest COVID-19 information at 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Jared says, it's obvious, I'm a drinker, but for Christ's sake, it's blatantly obvious what needs to happen nationwide. Close all off-license outlets and stop alcohol sales in all supermarkets for 10 to 14 days. That will slow down house parties and crowd gatherings. Those two businesses have had six months of 10 to 20 times their usual profit-making. They can afford to take the hit. Right, and we had another one. What's the difference to the virus connecting with your body if you're in a pub or a school with alcohol or water with persons from same family or other families? This has all gone ridiculous. All different rules for different age groups and settings. Surely it's the virus itself and its capabilities we should be focusing on, not about who's enjoying themselves with alcohol. Cop on, for God's sake. What are we saying about the kids in the school? Are we now going to disinfect our shopping and our money? Because as we well know, the virus can live for hours on objects. And contact tracing, remember, is done by the HSE. Do we trust these people who are managing our so very successful health service 
on an endless budget and super wage packets. Well, well, people have been cleaning their shopping and disinfecting their cash and other things for a long time now. So if you think you should be doing it, then go ahead and do it. No one's stopping you. 1850-715-996. Dylan, good morning. Morning, PJ. The pictures last night. What did you want to say about them? Well, I honestly, firstly, like, I think that's what we had to expect. This has been happening before COVID, during COVID, and it's happening again. I don't know why people become so surprised at it, but at the same time, I'll say this, like, if if they want to go out, act irresponsible, and catch COVID, that's their own problem. Like, I mean, there's people, there's people's families who are dying, and there's people who can't see the family's dying. Yeah. But if these students decide to go out, act the idiot, and then come home, infect their friends, their family, and possibly anyone that's in their college, that's, that's their own problem. That's not your problem. Well, you so see, it mightn't see. be their own problem, Dylan, because as I was saying there before the break, like there's a certain percentage of people will get this and die, albeit it's a, it's a small percentage. But there's an awful lot of very young, very healthy people who are still sick four and five and six months after they got it. Like, do you really want to be the the person that brings that home from Washington Street and gives it to the person who might be still sick next Easter? Absolutely not. Like, and I don't think, and I think, yeah, I totally agree with you there. Like that, um, this is, uh, this is something like no other. This isn't just the average flu where it goes away after two weeks. And I, like, Really, I think all this thing in society where we pick out a certain area of society and criticise them is it's not right because every single individual person has a responsibility, whether you're 5, 30, 70, 90, it doesn't matter what age you are because COVID is not going to see how old you no, are. It COVID doesn't know or care how old you are. Exactly. It doesn't care about anything. It will cling on to whatever allows it, which Absolutely. would be us people Absolutely. who are irresponsible. So. You have two choices. Do you want to be irresponsible, go out and not follow public health advice and then come home and possibly pass COVID on to family and yourself? Or do you want to be the thumbs up, the good person, and stay two metres apart, sanitise, and follow public health advice? Because at the end of the day, there's no third choice or fourth choice or fifth choice. This is real. And you've only got two choices at the end of the day, like. Yeah. It's amazing that so many young people don't have the rock of sense in their head that you seem to have, Dylan. There's no one hitting out on young people. Like, that was the big thing last night on social media. Oh, you're hitting out at the young people. You're hitting on at the students at the same nonsense yesterday morning. We're not. There's loads of people from various age groups misbehaving here. Exactly. Like, I mean, you know, you can't just... Like, pick out one sector of society and say, oh, yeah, you're bad now. Uh, you know, because students, like, you know, people give them this bad name when really everyone has a responsibility. Like, I mean, you know, you don't know what I do after six o'clock or I don't know what you do mm. or you don't know what anyone does. So this is an individual thing. And you cannot go and just select a sector of society which gets a bad name anyway, like, because yeah. you're getting... You, you were upset when you saw the pictures being taken, were you? Well, I wouldn't say upset, but I was just thinking to myself, what? Why are you putting? Why would you bother taking a picture? Like when that's going to do nothing? I mean, you're taking a picture. I mean, what's that going to do? Because we already, everyone in the country already knows what's happening. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, that's kind of the way we do things in 2020, though, Dylan, isn't it? We take a photograph or a piece of video. 
It is, yeah. And I and you know we take TikToks and we take all this stuff, but like at the end of the day, that is not going to benefit anybody because most people in the country know what's happening and. At the, and now, what's the point of shouting at people, getting out of your cars and saying, why, why are you in the group? Why are you not two metres apart when just leave, just leave them be? Let them I think, do I think maybe it's because, Dylan, that they're, they, they are worried for the person in their own circle who, who might be vulnerable. Absolutely, and you're totally right. But then what I'd say is just keep yourself safe and don't be taking on other people's problems because if they end up with COVID, if they pass it on to someone else, that is their own issue. Now, yeah. of course, I like we've won, well, we've won premises in Cork is reputed to have fifty cases connected to it now. Like that's potentially fifty families. That's potentially a number of elderly parents. That's potentially someone with an underlying health condition who will be struggling for their life in two weeks' time. This is the problem. That's that's absolutely right. Like, and you see. There's only so much, like, if the government actually acted and actually put in laws like they did in the UK, we might, like, I don't know, I can't say that, oh, no, we're going to be fine then, but we might see something a bit more realistic because we look like we're acting, but yeah. so far... The law isn't like, law. As, as exactly. the Irish Daily Mail, the, sun, the Sunday, Daily Mail on Sunday, um, had a brilliant article on the law actually isn't law. This is the flipping problem with it. It's not law. They can sh- the only thing they can do is shut a pub. That they can do nothing else. I think you also wanted to mention, Dylan, this story that broke yesterday from Bus Aaron about all the expressway buses being done away with in the new year. Oh yes, so like, what can I say? I mean, Bus Aaron were already, you know, going, going, going around, going west altogether, and now I think everyone knows that the second bus air and give up these services, all the private operators are going to take advantage of that. They're going to take that now and they're going to sneakily put up their prices slowly. And what we're going to see is the average family who wants to go to Dublin Zoo, go to Dublin, like maybe a day trip every month or something, that's going to turn into an annual pilgrimage because they're not going to be able to afford it. Like, you know, I mean, a family ticket could cost you maybe, I, I like, you know, I don't know how much it costs anyway, but, we're seeing prices going through the roof, like. And the last time I got a bus from Dublin, it's a couple of years ago now. I got a bus here and bus from Dublin one Saturday afternoon, and I think it cost me about I don't know, some bones just under twenty quid or something. Well, you see, that's reasonable. And the one thing about bus, and even I found like was that, in fairness, them they do they're reasonably priced, like you know. And as well as that, people with the free travel pass can just go on, tap it, and go and get on the bus. I was only only a few months ago there, I think it could have been last year, Dublin Coach, who operate buses, they only start, started accepting the public, yeah. the free travel pass. So, like, imagine if they didn't. Yeah. How would people be getting to Dublin and places like that? There's know? a big long list. I had looked this morning at the whole free travel pass thing on Citizens Information and other such websites. There is, To be fair, there's a huge list of private operators that do accept the, the, the free transport card. So, so you'd probably get to Dublin on the free travel card, all right, if there wasn't the bus, you know? You would, you'd probably get the train, but at the same time, not everyone has a free travel pass either. True. And actually, primarily, bus air and revenue would have come from students. Like, take the X8 to cross to Dublin, for example. That stops in Mittelstown. I'll just use that as an example. And Mittelstown doesn't have a train station. And the only other route I know that serves is the Connell's Cork bus. 
So if you're living in Mitchelstown, you have to commute to Cork every morning and you just want to get down and back. Yeah. How are you supposed to do that when you have to rely on a local group of mm. that would be stopping everywhere in between? Like, well, you know. well what, what bus errands say is that the workforce that's presently on the expressway routes will be redeployed to in, an, an, uh, a better service in Cork and Limerick and Galway. And they'll be taking on more drivers besides those staff. I'd Well, go ahead. I'd love to see that because currently in Cork, you can't get a number three bus from from Grand Parade in about in every twenty minutes. It's maybe every forty minutes because bus there and have put absolutely zero effort into the infrastructure of bus services in any city, especially Cork, like where most people rely on a bus because we don't have a Lewis system like Dublin or we don't have a dark system. We've only got commuter rail serving East Cork and back, and the north side and some of the south side are just left there. You know. Okay, listen, I'm going to leave it there with you, Dylan, because I have a man coming up next who may be able to answer some of our questions on, on this story that broke yesterday from Boss Aaron, which just to remind you, and I'm quoting from the Irish Times here, Boss Aaron, thanks Dylan, Boss Aaron is to close down several of its inner city, intercity expressway routes as a result of financial pressures brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. It's to end the Dublin-Cork Dublin-Limerick and Dublin-Galway routes and I think it's the new year is when it's going to happen. Let's go to Dermot O'Leary from the National Bus and Rail Union. He's their Gen Sec. Dermot, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, you're not happy about this. Where did this decision um, come from? Is it is it the bus Aaron decision or is it NTA have done this? Uh, look, I think it's probably a mixture of the bus. Look, I, I suppose my reaction yesterday when I heard it yesterday morning first was disappointment but not surprised and when I say that, I look, obviously from, from our place in, in the industry, we're well placed to see the different um, trends, I suppose. But look, we've been shouting uh, this from the rooftops for many years, PJ, and the threats to bus air and services. And people will recall uh, where the advent of the motorway, uh, and look, whilst we welcome the motorway, and it gets us from A to B a lot quicker than what we used to. Certainly what they did do is they drew in a lot of um, what we call multinational private bus operators, and the NTA gave out licenses for us like Snuff of the Wake. Uh, too much licenses. Um, the capacity certainly exceeded the demand. So both of them were under pressure from, from that uh, quarter for quite a while. Um, so what both have done in the middle of the COVID, they've measured, I suppose, from their own perspective, uh, the non-performing routes as they would have it. Uh, and they come up with this list of routes yesterday. It's important, of course, to note, and again, the people that use bus air services, and particularly the ones that, that serve into Cork and beyond, that look they're described as commercial services PJ but look we know certainly in the industry that they were never going to be able to compete with a bus that goes from A to B when you have to go in and serve rightly so for my Milchestown yeah. uh, and care so that, that that was always going to be a problem and the point I made yesterday and I'll make it again in your show there's two dimensions to this as far as I'm concerned there's the industrial relations one which we are I suppose depending on your perspective well able to handle one way or the other in terms of the effect on jobs but also the political dimension and I'm a bit alarmed this morning, um, unless you can tell me different. I see a lot of silence coming from political quarters here. And you know, politicians, no more than ourselves in trade unions, are quite adept uh, at jumping up and down when people's services are withdrawn, rightly so as well. But I, I take a lot of silence in the air this morning in terms of politicians. And this again, you're getting a report this morning. for some No, we're not getting a hold. We have had one, I think, one statement from uh, McBarry. Solidarity TV, yeah. but besides that, all the others seem seem rather quiet. 
That's that, well, look, that's concerning. I mean, look, at the end of the day, people can, you know, if they support the and indeed the NT, if they're asked, uh, they can talk about replacement services and, and, and the like uh, coming on a stream when these services depart. But again, look, at the moment, the people in Fumai and Milchstone in particular, uh, in the Cork region, have a direct service into Dublin and Dublin Airport by bus. Uh, that'll be gone from them. And no replacement minibus. Our, our smaller type bus yeah. is going to uh, replicate what they There's no now. private service, for example, goes into Formoy or goes into Mitchellstown, no? No, there's not. And that's, that's what I understand. No, point that, look, we have the 245, which is very much a, a local service, uh, which serves um, Formoy and Mitchellstown down into um, Carmel and back around but it, we, we, you don't have a direct service on, the, on or off the motorway and again look as I said already I suppose what annoys us and I've said this over the last year but certainly yesterday is that the, it's the so-called competition that came in came in on motorways that were built by the taxpayer this is the same taxpayer you and I PJ that actually own bus air so the, the company is suffering here and the people are suffering are the people who built the motorways uh, which is probably a bit ironic and it's one mm. another thing to add into the mix this morning again. I don't want to complicate things for people, but because of COVID, um, there has been a, an intervention by government uh, to support the likes of Bus Aaron and the private operators uh, for a period of time. And I think Bus Aaron have indicated that when that support is up in January, that's when they're going to withdraw these routes. Uh, I think it's quite ironic that these multinationals that came into service uh, a so-called market are now being supported by taxpayers' money as well. Uh, and I think, again, uh, that's why I'm calling on politicians uh, to, to understand in the first instance. Uh, and again, I suppose I'm calling on your listeners and other people uh, to, to lobby their politicians and ask them what they're going to do about this. couple of questions that are coming in, uh, which is uh, one in particular. Does this mean, Dermot, that Goal B would be gone as well, or is that separate? That, look, as I understand, I, mean, I asked that question yesterday, I'm waiting for a more definitive answer, but my understanding, the Gobi is a, is, a, is a joint venture between Bus Air and the Go Bus uh, based in Galba, uh, and my understanding is that's remaining, uh, waiting for a, a more definitive answer. Okay. So maybe that may be some consolation, but again, look, Gobi is the same as Air Coach and Dublin Coach, they go direct. Yeah. Uh, a to B and they, they don't service from Y or, or Mitchellstown either. Yeah. Will, will private buses, I, I, I said there, I was talking to Dylan, I was looking at a list on the various websites this morning, there's quite a number of private buses will take a bus pass. Are they required to? On the commercial service, as yeah. I understand it again, no, on the commercial service. Now, Bus Aaron would have been taking those. Again, maybe some clarity might be brought to that. Maybe she you've got one of your researchers asked a question uh, to the NTA in terms of the licensing laws. But my understanding is that it's a commercial service and there's no obligation. But then again, I could be wrong on that one. Yeah. Um, I know that Bus Aaron have been taking them uh, traditionally. Yeah. And there was some there was some movement last year towards the privates taking them. So There is quite a again, long list, in fairness, of private operators, if you go looking on the web, who actually do take yeah, so. yeah, again, look, uh, again, there was, because we, we raised the issue uh, when we had a campaign back in the end of 16 into 17 called Sab Save Our Bus Service was a nationwide campaign that we in the NBI undertook. And we raised that point, and there was some reaction at that time. And a number of the, a number of the privates, uh, either under instruction or, or, or maybe voluntarily, I doubt voluntarily, though, uh, may have picked up uh, on that. And, and they are taking uh, um, social welfare now. But again, we have we have anecdotal evidence over recent times where you know, they were asked to move along and go to the go to the go to the particularly in Waterford, for example, where uh, buses were very close together in terms of loading for Dublin. And we've had occasions where uh, the private people were approached with. 
post passes they were throwing up the bus here and they'll take you so look again you, you need and I don't want to be coming on here giving any uh, false information but you need to get some clarification in okay. relation now. but it's on the website saying I'm taking them then I'll go to that answer OK listen Dermot leave it there thanks very much the political reaction to this Dermot O'Leary that's the General Secretary of the National Bus and Rail Union Corkman of course the political reaction to this has been very quiet. He's right. There's a statement in, I think, in the system from, from Mick Barry, all right. But besides that, very little uh, political reaction to this. Tom says, public transport, as we know it, is dead. It used to be a service. Decisions are now being made for commercial considerations. The way is being opened up for private operators. People are paying taxes for public services. Again, that's sidelined. Squid on the Twitter says, use that service to see, I use that service to see my family in Limerick. They were always packed before COVID. The alternative is a nightmarish journey through Limerick Junction. Garrett on Twitter, it'll take full subsidy and introduction of massively reduced fares to get people using public transport again. You wonder how this plays out with the Green Party in the government, don't you? And with the Green Party leader as Minister for Transport. Where, where is Eamon this morning? Have we heard from Eamon as he issued a statement about this, the Minister for transport, no, has he? Not yet? Okay. Uh, quick mention, a good friend of the show and a good personal friend of mine uh, for many years, Kieran Delaney, um, has been elected. This is a bit of breaking news. This is quite a major news, actually. Uh, Corkman Kieran Delaney from McCormack has been elected as a global vice president of IOSH, which is the Institutional of Occupational Safety and Health Congratulations to our good friend Mr. Delaney for being elected their global vice president. Now there's a nice one for a Corkman. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Kate asks a relevant question. When did you last see a politician on an expressway? That's a very valid question, Kate. Thank you for it. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp. 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. Just makes it easier to find the tweets related to the show. And if you want to contact us through Facebook, go to the Cork's 96fm Facebook page and message us there. And please do if you can. Uh, mark your messages for the attention of the opinion line. It just makes us, or makes it easier for us to find them, or for other presenters who get messages during the day to direct them our way. So thank you for that. Now we talked last week, the week before, to Vicky Phelan here on the show about the right to die legislation, which is presently going before the Dáil. Gino Kenny, the People Before Profit TD, has a bill coming before the Dáil to, to allow people to choose uh, the moment of their passing uh, or, and, and have someone help them when an illness is terminal and becomes unbearable. And Vicky outlined very clearly on the programme here why she wanted to to end her life in, in that way. Vicky, as you know, has uh, terminal cervical cancer and obviously hopes that she has as much time left as she can possibly have but she's also very realistic about it that the that end will be agonizing and that end will be slow and painful and even the best palliative care in the world won't help her now evie's situation is very difficult or very different rather because evie's condition is not terminal as such evie good morning to you 
Morning. Now we've talked before about your your condition, which is EDS Ehlers Danlos syndrome. It's a very difficult or different situation, rather, to to um, to Vicky. But in your, you you also support this legislation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, not even my own situation, but like. Um, you know, I've seen um, people with cancer and how much pain you and the and the end being uh, torturous for them and their families. And so I was always in support of uh, dying with dignity, uh, but just in relation to myself, you know, I, it is very different. I'm not suffering with a terminal illness. I am suffering with an incurable illness that uh, gets worse with age. Uh, you know, I deal with as I've spoken about it before, I, I deal with daily dislocations, I deal with chronic pain, I deal with chronic fatigue, uh, the various comorbidities that go with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, and because there is such a lack of expertise here and there's a lack of will about learning about it as well, um, I know had that, had that uh, expertise been here in Ireland, um, you know, mm. since I was a child, I may not be in this position now. Um, you know, I've spoken before about how I've been waiting since 2017 for pain management. Oh, and that's still going on, Evie? Yeah, I'm still waiting. Uh, as you know, we went abroad to London a few years ago for help because there was no help here at all. Um, and it's just going to get worse as I get older. And I just can't bear the thought of spending the rest of my life every single day in pain mm. and look we're we're waiting for pain management and I will exhaust every treatment available if I can get it but it would be comforting to know that um, and, bec- and it's very likely that when I go through treatments that I will eventually run out of treatments mm. because with the condition you build up tolerances very very quickly yeah um you know, at the moment, I'm on the maximum dose of my opiates, um, which just about takes the, the edge off. Crikey. Are um, you in pain right now, Evie, as we speak? Yeah, like the pain is, it's it's all. And, and where is that pain? There. Where is like the pain? It's, it's widespread, but it, it mostly, um, it's mostly radiates um, around my pelvic area and up my spine. I mean, but it is everywhere and then when the weather gets bad it's worse again and I've got like to suffer from migraines and like the the parts of my neck dislocate and you know, my hips are constantly out of place and everything and it's just it's a horrible disease to live with. Right, now you're only just, you're only 33 yeah you, no intention of you know you want to be around for a very long time. Yeah yeah um, you know, I, I'm not talking about um, wanting to die with dignity. Uh, any t- like I said, it, it's going to be after I've exhausted all options yeah. um, with treatment. But it, it would be such a comfort to know that when that day happens, when they're going, we don't know what else to do. We can't give you anything else um, that I can make that decision. Now, um, what would make life a lot easier for you and, and not having to even think about a decision like that which must be an agonising one is more support and there is no is there still no specialist in all of Ireland dealing with EDS? No. 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 People are still having to travel abroad even during the pandemic 
people with Ehlers Danlos syndrome are still having to go to the likes of Barcelona, going to London, going to Italy, going to Denmark, where there is doctors available um, with the expertise. Yeah. Um, but it, it like, and nobody should be forced to travel anyway. But not certainly not during a pandemic. Yeah. And and just to explain for listeners, this the nature of this disease is that can it can literally affect any part of your body at any yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there was like it. It was always obvious um, in me as a child. I remember my parents telling me when they adopted me that they brought me to the family GP and. He said there's something very wrong with this child. She's very floppy. Yeah. And I had always issues growing up. I was constantly seeing physios and OTs and going for CT scans and MRIs and everything. And they would just couldn't figure out what was going on with me. And then it wasn't until I was 26 that I was diagnosed. Yeah. And had I been diagnosed a lot earlier, um, I may not be in this position now where I'm yeah. in. Like I lost family members. I've lost friends. I've lost, I lost my ability to work and I just like before diagnosis I had absolutely no quality of life at all Um, and I was told it was all in my head Um, I was on antidepressants needlessly for eight or nine years until the day I got my diagnosis like I was told it was all in my head and that is incredible damage to my mental health because at the time they were trying every every single antidepressant going Mm-hmm. And nothing was working, and I was thinking, well, what's the point if nothing? What good is, working? What good is an antidepressant if your hip is out of line? Do you know that's no yeah. good to you whatsoever. Yeah. What are the support? I mean, there is no specialist dealing with EDS in the whole country. What other supports do you need? Like, I, I'm shocked that you tell me you're still looking for pain management three years on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like when I was last saw my GP. Um, and I was saying to her, I still haven't been seen. And she was like, and you probably won't be until next year uh, with the way things are going at the moment. Um, and so it'll more than likely be like four years since the first referral was sent off. I mean, I've been, I my GP has sent, you know, two or three subsequent letters saying, you know, this woman needs to be seen. Mm-hmm. That, like, you know, um, like I, I became tolerant uh, to my medications yeah. years ago which, which can happen and quite quickly I'm, I'm told it, it was very yeah, yeah. it was yeah. very very quick particularly with opiates it happens yeah. very very and then you quickly become de- you, you become tolerant of them but you also become dependent on them dependent. which has its own its own issues in itself now the it, only thing is in a situation like this and we've listened to Vicky and I'm listening to you and mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you Evie I think I feel the very same I, I really do think I'd feel the very same but isn't there a slippery slope that if you let people in physical pain decide to end their lives, what about other people in psychological difficulties? What about vulnerable parents and grandparents who would have the decision made for them by someone, you know, without their best interests at heart? The fact is, if you open this up, isn't mm. it like being a little bit pregnant? You can't be. Well... I mean, that, that's why, you know, legislation, uh, legislative scrutiny is so important um, and to learn from other countries where this is legal. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think it will, it will be a slippery slope because, I mean, I'm talking about after every single option is has been made Exhausted, available. Yeah. Yeah. And this in no means, by no means, 
that if this is brought in, that palliative care standards can drop, that pain management things, that every, every yeah. option should be of a very, very high standard. Like if someone who suffers heard, from chronic depression all their life might say to you, well, the pain of being, of mental pain is, is worse than physical pain. I should have the right. Absolutely. Um, I, I know that that um, point has been brought up before, but I mean, the the way it works that you have to go under like like really intensive uh, psychological uh, analysis and and being interviewed by psychologists to make sure you're in the right state of mind and things like that. They're not just going to go, oh, okay, you know, that it is. There are guidelines and they're very very strict. Now I. I understand people saying that it would be slippery slope and, and I'm not just talking about any chronic pain and things. I'm talking about diseases that are incurable, that are progressive um, and that give people no quality of life, to particularly in the, in the end of their lives. Yeah. Is is what I'm what I'm asking for, and to be considered, and um, yeah. not necessarily doesn't necessarily have to be now, but at some point down the line, um, it would be such a comfort. And I talked to other people in, in the situation that I'm in, and they said, "Look, it's not something I might do, but it would be a comfort to know that, that I'm not going to. I'm going to have to." I have to deal with this pain for every single day for the rest of my life. Like you've discussed it, I take it with with husband, with your husband and family, and it's it's not a it's not a pleasant thing to have to discuss, is it? No, I mean my husband completely understands. He sees how bad I get and and the and the lack of expertise and how the pain it has affected me so profoundly. Um, it's completely taken over my life. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember meeting you uh, before you got your diagnosis, or maybe yeah, just after like, you got your diagnosis, and yeah, even then the, you had pain. It, it's just yeah. considerably worse, and it's worse it, month by month. It is, and it, and then it's worse um, than when the it's worse than when it comes to um, that time with the month because there's a lot of hormonal involvement. That's why it, it tends to affect women a lot more as well um, than it does men. Um, and it's just, it's, this all could have been prevented had um, we've been listened to and we've reached out to the Department of Health, we've reached out to various different ministers of health yeah. over the years and we just keep getting the same responses over and over again, which is that the HSC consultants are equipped to look after people with yeah. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I mean, I went to a rheumatologist uh, a public rheumatologist after I was diagnosed by a private consultant because um, my GP wouldn't accept the private uh, diagnosis. So I went to a public uh, rheumatologist and he was like, yeah, you have it, but I don't know why you're here. I can't help you. Yeah, and that seems to be a common thing. Finally, people, mm-hmm. it's G- Gino Kenny has this Dying With Dignity bill before the, the Don and Shannon at the moment. Why would you like people to support it, Evie, briefly? I would like people to support this because it is about compassion and like we've had had a history before of exporting our problems and sending people away in their most, you know, time, biggest time of need and when they need support and to be surrounded by friends and family and to be looked after their, by their doctors at home. You know, we, don't, we can't be continuing to export our problems to the likes of Switzerland and other countries that provide this service for people who, you know, they would have put an awful lot of thought into it and it's not something that, you know, somebody would just decide on a whim and it's incredibly important that we treat people 
with compassion and you know we we don't let our animals and our pets suffer why would we let our people suffer Okay, thank you very much for that. That's E.B. Evans, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There's a lot of varying. Thank you, E.B. A lot of varying opinions on this. The slippery slope is always the argument that if you let people like Vicky have it, you let people like E.V. do it, or others, that you end up with vulnerable grannies and granddads and vulnerable parents being killed. You, they're trying to write up the law in such a way as that will never happen. That's what they're doing. But we just wanted to, to look into someone else who might consider it one day. Not today, not tomorrow, not next year, not the year after, but one day. She might consider it and she'd like it to be there. 1850-715-996. GAA matches. I don't know if you can still get into them, whether it's 100 or 50 or what it is. You get confused these days. Let's talk to someone about it next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Every day, washing and drying, done within an hour. Selfservicelaundry.ie Ask the lady or lad behind the counter who's filling your 99 to put the flake into the cone, push it down into yeah. the wafer, then top her up with ice cream. Ellie and Rian. I tasted I tried the ice cream, the chocolate down. The lady in the shop gave me a, a chocolate on the top. Oh, that's incredible. They got double, double flake. chocolate. Tell them. Okay, now he needs to step in and let us know. Tasty one. Boom shakalaka. Whoa, 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 hang on a second. Oh. That's copyright. Yeah, oh. it's the cutest boom shakalaka you'll ever hear. Boom shakalaka. It's the second cutest. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. Courts 96 FM. Go to Kira, Kieran about GAA matches in just a sec. But we've had a big reaction to yesterday's quite lengthy interview with Dr. Niall Conroy in Queensland about how they've done it out there, how they've really flattened it with regard to coronavirus. Big reaction to that. I'll bring you some of it in a while. But uh, Kieran, you were on about matches and crowds at, at GAA matches. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. What did you want to say? Yeah, uh, there's house uh, Sunday. I was on a walk Sunday past the local GEA club here in Cove, and um, I've seen a lot of cars outside. And uh, I was conscious of the fact that we were being advised uh, all week to limit our interactions. And as I came up to the gate at the, at the, at the, at the pitch, there was a, a big crowd going in, and there was a big crowd in there. And um, I was kind of saying to myself, is, look, we're supposed to be limited in our interactions with people. Like, And here we have just total people totally ignoring us. So there were two people on the gate. They had the gate partly slided open, and they were letting people in. There were two people on the gate that had, I suppose, they had the colours on. They had the white shirt and they had the red tie, you know. And uh, I asked them what was going on, why were they not uh, restricting their interactions, and uh, why were they not wearing masks. Yes. And they were laughing. They laughed at me, you know, and then dropped it off. And um, I was thinking afterwards when I went by, I said, or I said to them before I went off, I said, you, you know, the GA is part of a community and we're under threat of going on to level three. And next week I said, when we go on to level three, 
the GEA and other people will be complaining about places being cut down, uh, shut down, and not allowed into matches and yeah. go to sporting events and all that. I, I suppose uh, we should be clear, Kieran. We're in level two as it at, at mm. the moment, and a certain number of people, I think it's a hundred, are allowed go to a match. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and there was the, the match hadn't even started. This is what I've seen. Go, look at in from there, and I was looking at more or less one side, the far side. There was more than a hundred people in there, and there was more people coming in. But even seeing up to that, there was a kind of uh, a kind of a rallying call to you know wear the wear the jersey and try to you know restrict the spread of it as much as possible and to adhere to I suppose. Uh, a small interaction, a small interaction group to have, you know, to try to lessen the the, the spread. Keep your circle size, small, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, and to kind of wear the, so to speak, wear the cork jersey for protection of the, the people's uh, personal health and uh, I suppose businesses and everything in the county that we don't try to prevent go on to level three, you know. Yeah. But this was a probably disregard for that, it seemed to me. I was thinking as I was passing, I went by, I said, if the two people that were in behind that had the red, the, one, the white shirt and the red tie were wearing a cork mask along with that, and they were requiring everybody else that would did the, into the pitch, into the ground, to wear a mask. They, could, they were collecting money for going in the door or in the gate. So along with that, if they had it, that you got... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Had a ticket to get into entrance into the match, and you had a, you were given a mask also, and you had to wear the mask inside. That would do an awful lot to protect yeah. uh, the general public. For example, I give the example before is that uh, I'm, a, I'm a father. I go in. I go into uh, a football match, yeah. and uh, I'm interacting with people. No social distance and no mask or anything. Right? I think I'm grand. Fine enough. Someone is here systematic and. They give it to me. I don't know that I have it, but I'm a systematic. I go home, go into my family. I have, I spread it to my kids, and my kids go into school. Here goes the circle. Yes. Now, I know we require government, and we talk about government, and we talk about politics and everything else like that, and politicians being responsible and putting down, it's not law, so I won't do it. It's not this and that. And we talk about influencing young people. But I say there's a personal and there's a collective responsibility. We all have a personal responsibility to wear masks. If we do a simple thing and just wear masks, we'll, all the experts tell us we'll do an awful lot to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Now, we're not um, yet required to wear them in open spaces. Uh, not yet. It's no, mandatory across no, Europe. No, but like we are all adults. Well, not, we're adults, right? The people that organize those matches are adults. Like, we all have a personal responsibility. We have been told time and time again by the experts that wearing masks, even in the outdoors. I was up North Main Street yesterday, and the vast majority of people walking around uh, North Main Street yesterday were wearing masks. Right? It's the same at the GEA. What I'm saying is the GEA is a very 
a, a huge influence in Irish society. Yeah. Right? And a huge influence on young people. But to have that influence by um, leading from the front, by give, leading by example. Yeah. And if you give example in this, it would help. We need to become, all of us, uh, especially people in influential areas. We talk about influencers and we're talking about paying influencers. Here's influencers within sporting organizations that if they demonstrate the behavior that we, sh- that we wish everybody else to do, it would go an awful long way. So that's actually also, a fantastic. That's a fantastic point. That if our if our sports stars, our GAA stars, our soccer stars, our rugby stars, but we're focusing on GAA here this morning. If our GAA stars yes. set an example, others yes. might follow. Like you say, you don't have to start paying influencers, whatever crazy idea that is. You actually have a whole thousands of influencers out there who don't need to get paid. They can lead by example. Absolutely. And what we do is, and even when we were talking, there was an awful lot of talk about young people, and young people are involved in sports. They're the people that play sports. And we talk about young people. They're not, they're, they're congregating in big crowds. And if we carry that influence and look for it to get them to wear masks, right? And we do it by encouraging them rather than criticizing them, right? For example, if we have something like, you know, locally at competitions where groups are together, who can come up with the best type of design of a mask who can uh, show so get, get something for coming up with the designer and everyone that, that start a type of mask and if young people wearing the mask is a part of their identity as that part of that group let it be from an area let it be from a football club a soccer club a rugby club from any organization from a school this that and the other that we use the group uh, group influence in a positive way. I'm just getting here that we're finding out a little bit more about that actual match you now that you saw or that you were outside on Sunday. Yeah. Apparently it was an all-ticket affair. Uh, there were lots of, this is a call, there were lots of cars outside because there were other events on nearby. Once you were inside, it was very socially distanced and there was a lot of stewards ensuring that the distancing was maintained. Well, it, well, that's not what I've seen. Now, there was another event across the road in the other picture at the, at the community college. There was a soccer match. There was people around the edges. They were well distanced out. I was uh, in, I looked in, stood and looked into the GEA, and they were not social distanced in any way, right? They were not. They were congregated together, closely together. There was very few mass in relation to it. About three weeks prior to that, I was up in the same GEA club for a reason, and are up by it. And uh, there was when the limit for people going in there was 15, and there was hundreds of people there standing around together, clogged together, not wearing masks, not social distancing. That's when the limit was 15. What I'm trying to say is, we don't need we don't need laws and we don't need legislation to be responsible in our behaviour in relation to coronavirus. Sadly, we, sadly, it, sadly we do, I think, Kieran. There is right. the problem. Sadly, well, we this, do. Yeah, and this is the point, because if we go down that road, I think we'll be very, it'll be very hard to bring people along with us. Jerry's making you know, the point that they're talking about laws and more laws, but the only reason you need that is because the spirit of the country is bad. A good society would have optional wearing of masks. But the problem is, I've been saying to Jerry, you know, there's a, optional isn't working. Yeah, but see, an awful lot of the time is we're 
thing on a negative, on criticism. And I'm not doing this just to criticise. I'm not on a GEA basher at all. I'm a, actually a huge GEA fan myself. But you're making an but, excellent point. Uh, the GEA and yeah. the other sporting organisations could set a massive example for their members and those who follow their sports by promoting things like masks, by promoting things like sanitation and, and hand washing. And why don't we line up a few of our inter-county stars or why not a few of our professional rugby players rather than looking for influencers off Instagram? Absolutely. Well, yes, absolutely. And why don't... It, it, wearing the mask needs to come because it's very important and everyone is saying it, all, all the experts all over the world are saying it, that wearing the mask is very, very important because it's... They're saying now it's bigger, it's bigger than uh, an antibody now at this stage. But the wearing of the mask... The lift, what needs to happen is that the mask now needs to become something like... Um, a fashion, a fashion, a fashionable thing. Well, funny that uh, you should say it. young people yeah. to create the fashion and sports guys. But I would get, yeah. I think we need to get young people in as part of the solution, part of the fight. And if young people take that on, there's no one better to lead society True. in changing a trend than young people themselves. I wonder, actually, you know, I've seen... I think Cork City FC has their own mask now, and I think a lot of other clubs have their own mask. Wouldn't it be a great idea if every GAA club that has its pro, that, that its club shop, like I'm thinking, in, for example, I think clubs like Nemo, for example, and others that have a club yes. shop, have a, have, a, have a club mask. That's what exactly what the two, the two clubs that were involved that I understand were involved in that match last Sunday was uh, Carrick Tool and Middleton, two local clubs, two fine clubs. Now, if you had a simple thing is they had their own mask and they have to wear them to get in. You put one crowd on one side, one crowd on the other side. You'd often see this in college basketball or college football in America yeah. and everything else. And there's a big focus put on this thing about the mask and this represents... This represents the group. And you would find it. If something represents gives an identity to a group, and this goes for young people, that they're more than willing yeah. to wear it. You know what I mean? Because they want, especially young people, because they want to be part of a group that's essential to being a teenager, a young, yeah. a young adult. You want to be part of Get them of. involved. Get them involved. And Make it part of their conversation. Yeah. Yeah, All right. Absolutely. All right, listen, Kieran, great call. Thank you for making it. That's brilliant. That's Kieran Nahora. 1857-15996. What about club masks? What about masks? I said this. It must be three months ago when we started talking about masks. I, they would become fashion accessories. They could become a sports club accessory. I was really talking to my own daughter yesterday or the other day. I was giving her a lift somewhere and she had a mask on. She was fishing fishing out her mask out of a little plastic. And I said, which? She said, Dad, I've, I've seven or eight of them. I, I never buy a new item of clothing now. Buy new jeans or a new top or a new jacket. I'll always try to find a mask to go with it, which is exactly what I predicted three months ago. It's the ones that go around wearing them as chin straps. That's the one that they're, they're half the problem. They're most of the problem. Uh, Kate tried to get a Munster rugby mask. Apparently Adidas have no plans to bring them out. Well, I'd say if Munster rugby asked Adidas to bring them out, they might bring them out. 
Triscoll is also hosting Greenshine with Martin Leahy on Friday, October 2nd as part of this year's Cork Folk Festival. The 41st Cork Folk Festival returns this week with key anchor events taking place behind closed doors and as part of a reimagined festival, there's over 20 concerts, launches, walks and workshops, including free live streaming of two concerts from the Opera House with further details available at CorkFolkFestival.com. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 9696 96 On Cork's 96FM. Mary was on from Den Rovers. They have their own masks. They're for sale in the club and they are five euro. And there are other clubs, I think, have their own masks now. It's a great idea. If any club has a mask, Text us and we'll plug it for you. Because it's a great idea and that's a good idea from Kieran. One way to get people on board is give them something to be part of, be it a GA club or a rugby club or a soccer club or what any kind of a place they go to. Give them a mask that represents what they want to represent. They're doing it in schools now, I see. I heard of one or two schools have their own masks and I hope they won't do what they normally do with school uniforms and the masks will be 30 quid and you only get it in one shop. But you know where I'm going with that. On compliance and following the rules, on the phone, the reason laws are necessary is society isn't caring. If we lived in a truly caring society, people would make the sacrifice of wearing a mask or staying one metre distant from another person. We now need literally hundreds of laws and regulations because we live careless. It's a cruel society. It's an utter mess because people think they care, but they care about causes, but not other people. Once again, I emphasise, we need to bring caring back to society. And that's the thing. Read, and there's more and more stuff. I just see a, Kevin has just tweeted us an article from Korea. I think it's Korea, one of those countries anyway, that neck of the woods, where they're now doing some research into the lasting effects of COVID-19. And there's a huge number of people for whom it is not just a 10-day feeling crap. It's, it's worse. There's long-term exhaustion. There's long-term breathing difficulties. There's long-term pain for many, many people. And a lot of them, very young people. Very young people. So do you really want to be the person who goes out, stands in a crowd, brings home the virus, you yourself are grand. But the person you pass it on to on your way, at home, in the shop, in work, wherever, they're sick for months. Do you really want to be one of those? 1850-715-996 What about the people who genuinely can't wear this con? Thanks for this con. What about the people who genuinely can't wear a face covering? Should they not bring out a wristband or a pin you could wear 
to let people know you can't wear it. Myself, I can't wear one. Con, I had a doctor on here a few weeks ago whose name escapes me just now. But he said the number of people who genuinely can't wear a face covering of some kind is quite small. But there is a thing, for example, in Tesco where you can walk up to the counter and you can ask them for a lanyard. They have a, a little, it's like a sunflower lanyard. And if you put that around your neck, it, it says to staff and it says to colleagues that you can't, for some reason, wear a mask of any kind. They are doing it some places. But the number of people who genuinely, physically can't wear a mask, the doctors say, is quite small. Jerry was back on saying, I misrepresented him. He said, the reason it's not working is the lack of caring in the country. He'd happy take me on head to head. Well, I don't think we need to, Jerry. if you want to. I agree with you, dude. A lot of people just don't care about others. They couldn't give a toss about others. It's all about themselves. I agree with you. 1850 Here's a cool idea. We're all being told to get the flu vaccine this winter. Now, there's always those who have to get it and need to get it for their own general health and they're vulnerable and getting a dose of the flu could be fatal for them in some cases. But we're all being encouraged, or as many as we can, encouraged to get it this year because if we have some immunity to the flu, then that'll get us through the winter without overwhelming the health service as coronavirus is still with us for the foreseeable. There's a doctor called Mike Thompson, East Cork Clinic, who has come up with a brilliant idea, a drive-through flu vaccination clinic. Mike, good morning. Morning, PJ. Thanks for this. How are you? It's a, it's a great idea. Very well, thank you. So, how does this work? Yeah, it's something we're really excited about. So, um, I suppose the genesis of it came from the COVID-19 testing idea. Like, how do we safely, quickly and efficiently get a large population vaccinated, especially the more vulnerable ones? Um, but also, PJ, protecting our capacity and our staff and ourselves, I suppose, Um so we came up with the idea of having a drive-through clinic where people could, uh, the, the buzzword is stay safe, stay in your car. So we think it's the first one in Ireland. It's quite straightforward. A couple of us GPs got together and said, how could we manage this? Um, do you register online? You check if you're eligible. So there's just two things. Who should get it? Everyone. But there are certain people who will qualify for a HSC vaccine and that's really the target audience we're going for PJ um, people can get it privately through their GP as I am or their pharmacy or maybe occupationally so they log on their details who their GP is what their risk condition is they get an email they get a reminder email they arrive they're given their details are confirmed they're consented again temperature check making sure that they're well they run through some questions drive on up the bay, they receive the vaccine and an information sheet, they wait 15 minutes and they leave. And we've been facilitated, the Defence Forces, um, Commander Alexander Rumble and his colleagues have been very good, they're a big marquee for us. Yeah. So, And the HSE are on board too as well, some of our local colleagues are doing it, we're training up our nursing staff to help with us. So it's going to be a fantastic idea. Um, we a slight issue with vaccine stock. I'm sure you're aware of that. Yeah, um, there there seems to be. You can understand it, I guess, when they're yeah. telling as many as possible of us to get it. There seems to be a bit of a run on the vaccine this year, particularly PJ. So I think the HSC and they'd be better able to speak for themselves. They've ordered two million, one point four million injections and zero point six million of the nasal sprays. So just to, to to break that down a little bit for you, this year children from two to twelve are going to be offered a nasal vaccine. Nice. Um, who else should get it, I suppose, then goes back to the, the old-fashioned injection. So everyone over 65, any healthcare worker, PJ, and that includes 
you know, healthcare administrative staff, all GPs and their staff, uh, I suppose healthcare assistants, the allied, the physios, the radiographers, home helps, carers. The biggest group we're trying to, the World Health would pay, say the biggest risk group are pregnant people. Um, they're the most important one. And then there's the traditional ones, PJ, those with long-term conditions. Mm. Um, so the people with, you know, coexisting heart, lung, kidney disease, or their household or close contacts, PJ. So really, that's quite a broad cohort of people. And we do have two million doses. So I do think the issue is probably not, the issue is probably, I suppose, not supply and demand eventually, but it's just trying to uh, get the numbers in quickly. Uh, so we said we would do this at weekends. It will keep general practice capacity free this weekend, yeah. uh, th- 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 this winter. Because we did this winter of everything, I suppose we need we need appointments. So we've kind of outsourced it. So it'll keep patients safe. It's convenient for them. They can do it at the weekend at the time of their choosing. There's no waiting. It's rapid, mm-hmm. and they obviously get the benefit from the vaccine. And they feel they're playing their part. I suppose yeah. from GP definitely it reduces risk to us and our staff. It, it definitely reduces footfall and calls to reception. But there's benefits to the state, I suppose, PJ, in that we can get through a large number of vaccines very quickly. I think it would offer a template for, hopefully, when the corona vaccine arrives. Yeah. The site can be converted to a COVID testing site afterwards. Um, That's an interesting point, actually, that you raised there, because I was talking yesterday to Dr. Nell Conroy in, in Queensland, where they have yeah. had a massive success in dealing with coronavirus and he was saying one of the things they did was they had these literally set up a marquee and take dozens and dozens of swab tests and then move the marquee somewhere else and take dozens and dozens more they took her took her to the front line so maybe a flu yeah. vaccine but get, get dozens and dozens of tests or vaccine well, well pj hundreds and hundreds and thousands of thousands yeah but the issue is stock um yeah we, we, you know, I think if we're, we, 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 I think we're playing our part. We are asking the HSE for more and more vaccines to kind of get get this done efficiently. Um, and the children, the, the issue is with the children, we had maybe thought about going into schools, but the schools very quickly replied that they, they don't have the bandwidth for this. They don't have the free classes. You'd need three rooms. So we, we kind of offered that we do the, the nasal vaccine for children as well as the drive-through but that's going to be a few weeks later. Okay. So I'm hoping that the HSC will keep keep delivering the flu vaccines to okay. us. Let, let, um, let, let's hope I, that it doesn't run out yeah. because to be the one year you don't want it to run out. Can I just put that question to you, Mike, before I let you go, yeah. if you wouldn't mind, that came up before I went to you there. There would be a certain cohort of the community who genuinely, physically cannot wear a mask. How many of them are there, though, do you think? Yeah, so we have a practice policy here, so and we've actually delineated it, I suppose. So anyone who has respiratory condition who cannot manage, I suppose, to remove a face covering themselves, so that would be perhaps people with profound neuromuscular issues, people who may have profound anxiety or autistic disorders may sometimes need it. Yeah. But PJ, uh, really, pretty much everyone can wear a mask and should do. Not a face visor, not one of these nose visors, it should be a mask. And we should wash our hands. That's perhaps the most important yeah. thing. Uh, it, you know, you can't contract it through your hands, but you can touch your eyes, your face. So we do not give letters for masks in this practice. Most of my colleagues in East Cork don't either. You know, there is there has to be a little bit of personal responsibility in this too. We don't, you know, it shouldn't be a police state. Okay. All right, Mike, thank you. 1850-715-996. There's another doctor who says the vast majority of people can wear a mask. 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Don't forget Twitter and Facebook. Lots of people coming through with messages now about branded masks. They tell me that Cork Taxi Co-op now have their own branded masks. And uh, on Twitter... Is it from Germany that message comes? Someone bought three Adidas masks and they were only 15 euro and they cost, or they are the most comfortable that they had to wear. That's in response to someone saying all the big companies like Nike will only want to take a lot of money off you for masks. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Carrigaline United doing their own branded masks. And we'll have more of these on the show tomorrow because we're getting a bit of a response after we asked for that. 1850-715-996. Coming up later this hour, what exactly is going on about the Spike Island toilet strike? What exactly is that all about? Two women in an industrial dispute with Spike Island over a staff toilet, or rather the lack thereof. Get into that, get the detail of that and the history of that a little bit later. But of all the things that COVID-19 has put paid to, we're still looking ahead. The jazz weekend is gone. Christmas could be a very interesting experience this year and not in a positive way. And the next big casualty, and we're only waiting for it to be announced, the next big casualty could be Halloween because you just know, don't you, that we're going to be told by Dr. Glynn or somebody like that, don't go trick-or-treating. Don't do Halloween. Have your own little party by all means with just your own kids but don't be having a horde of kids into the house either. Halloween is quite likely to go by the board. And for someone like Jen who's a mom with kids and a journalist but a mom with kids looking forward to Halloween it's, it's, uh, it's worrying how you're going to break it to them isn't it Jen? Good morning. Good morning PJ how are you? Not too bad. Uh, yeah, it is. I think it's been such a long few months of constantly breaking bad news to them that the idea of telling them Halloween is gone as well, it's, it's just really hard. Can you get and a bit closer to that phone for me? Oh, sorry. Can you hear me better now? That's better, yeah. Better. Yeah, I think it's just really hard at the moment that constantly having to break bad news, constantly saying things that they're looking forward to. And it really matters that they have things to look forward to because... They've, they've missed out on so much. Up here, obviously, in Dublin, we're on level three restrictions, which means a lot of their activities are gone. Their mm. swimming lessons are gone. Their drama's gone. Everything's gone. Anything really that allows them mix with teammates or activity mates, that's all gone. And they have school, of course. But for some of them, I, someone made the comment at home, it's like all the good things are gone and we're left with the hard things. <laughs> I suppose that's the, that's the slight novelty of school worn off again. I mean, they're thrilled to be back generally, but obviously they're working. You know, they're working away. So they're looking forward to Halloween and the questions have come up already at home, but we've already kind of had to indicate that Halloween is not going to look like it usually does, but we'll make the best of it. That's what I'm constantly reassuring. We'll make the best of it. But yeah. How, how we're going to do that, I'm not sure, because even if you yourself as a parent are comfortable with going out and trying to do some sort of socially distanced trick-or-treating, you have to allow for the fact that neighbours may not feel comfortable opening the door. There's a lot of people who feel very vulnerable at the moment, particularly as cases are rising. And, and how can you guarantee that the parcels won't be contaminated 
Yeah, I mean, I, I actually asked about this, um, and I suppose one parent actually pointed out to me that one of the is it really that much different to your shopping being delivered or the postman delivering something? If if the sweets are maybe parceled up in, in individual packages and handed out that way or left at the end of a driveway or something, and that, that involves huge trust issues and making sure animals either don't pick them up and are not a danger to, to dogs or cats or something else wandering around. Um, but, but yeah, I suppose that is that is a worry. But there have been some really great ideas that have, um, parents have come up with. The, the idea of going along, knocking on a door, standing back at the end of the driveway, giving a wave in their costumes, but mum actually providing the sweets. So every time you knock on a door, instead of getting treats from your neighbours, your mum gives you the sweets instead. So it's come from home and at least it takes that problem out of the equation and still gives the kids the chance to wander around and parade in their costumes. Or in maybe in some states it might be suitable to have a kind of socially distanced parade out the front. Again, just that chance to show off their costumes. They won't be able to get um, treats from the neighbours possibly that way either. But at least they're getting to get out and show off their costumes and give their pals away from the distance. Because Mm. here obviously we can't have a load of kids over the restrictions are are such that we can't. So the yeah, like, we're probably going to be joining mm. you on level yeah. three, I'd say, by the weekend, if not before, because it's starting to look dangerously like that now. So explain for listeners with kids and stuff, what is the difference in level three? What have you guys lost that you well, had in level two? We could have, before that, we could have three people from, or sorry, six people from three different households over. Now it's, we're down to one. And I suppose you can actually even see with parents already, it doesn't even matter. Even with that reduction, playdates are as good as over. They don't happen anymore. Um, parents are kind of really pulling back and not having other children in their houses. You can see that already happening. So even though the restrictions are such that we, we can have one over, we're, we're not having any over. That's really what's happening already. So the Halloween parties are unlikely to happen. Even very small Halloween parties that involve anybody outside your immediate household that's highly unlikely to happen um, so that's I suppose that's the really big one I suppose we live in fear we're moving to level 4 and then we have nobody really? coming over at all I mean, is that, that, is that the word on the ground up there like because I mean the, the cases are still rising in Dublin they're still rising and there's still that fear that we could move there um, and I think nobody's taken anything for granted and, and there is that concern that you know that we're, we're we're going there. We're heading that direction. There's no kind of comfort coming from the numbers here at all. So yeah. we're even even projecting down as far as October 31st. We don't know where we'll be. We, yeah. we, we may yeah. not. Have, but it would be nice to have a little bit of guidance from public health at this stage, yeah. just so we can adequately prepare the kids. Well, now you may, you wrote in the Irish Times about just the Halloween issue itself, but on this idea that kids are resilient and they will be fine. You're a bit uncomfortable with that notion, I think. I think it's one of the phrases that drives me most crazy because it's it's thrown out, it's thrown out a lot anyhow, but it's thrown out a huge amount now that we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I know parents and adults like to reassure themselves and say, yeah, kids are resilient, they bounce back. But it's a little bit dismissive of what children and young people have been through. They have given up a huge amount. It has been like the six, seven, nine months, however long more we're going to be going through this, 
it's a huge portion of a very young child's life and of a teenager's life. You know, it's a, it's a huge portion. And this, they're resilient. It's just dismissive of what they've been through. You know, we don't need to set the bar that low that we say, at least you're alive. Everybody is aware of what people are going through and the huge loss and the devastating losses that people have suffered. And you can have empathy for that loss, but still accept that others are having it tough too. And, and accept that children and young people have made we, we, we've it. We've all had it tough, Jane. We've all had missed it tough. They have. You know? But I think kids, kids need to dismiss. I mean, it's just been okay to vilify them from the beginning when they were vectors and then it was sure aren't they grand they're happy enough playing there and they're not they're missing their friends they're missing their grandparents they're missing these milestone occasions that they normally look forward to and yes it might be what we have to do but at least we should acknowledge it acknowledge that they're missing and acknowledge that it's a big deal yeah are you concerned about them still being at school while the cases go up personally i'm not i mean i'm I don't want it to come into the house. We follow all the guidelines. We, you know, we're doing everything we can. We've our contact. I'd have to give away some of my children to reduce my contacts any further. That's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's we don't have anybody outside the immediate family. Actually, even I don't even have any family living in Dublin anymore. They've all moved out of Dublin, so there's nobody we're seeing except the school contacts. But I'm not. I feel they're following the school. They're doing their absolute best. I hear the numbers coming in. I hear the cases coming in. I'm accepting what we're being told, that while there are cases in schools, a lot of them haven't originated in the schools. And so I just, I'm happy enough that we continue to go on with the information that we have. And I'm hoping the schools can stay open as long as possible because it is so good for them to be back. And you can see how much more content they are. With this five-point plan uh, that the government Mm. has now, And when you take a read of it, even if we have to go back to level five, which would be as close to the original lockdown as we would, they still intend to try to keep schools going. They've become a little bit more vague there now, I think, haven't they? Yeah. changed the guidelines to say, depending on what public health advice yeah. is at the time. Yeah. But I think maybe that's because we now accept how vital our schools are to, to society and how vital it is that our children are in school. I think if we got to a level five, you're going to have per- parents making personal decisions about whether will. or not they can take the risk. They probably will. Yeah, and Let's I hope we don't get there. I Let's hope, hope we not. Don't get there. I really hope not. Jen, always good to talk to you. Thanks. That's Jen Hogan, journalist with the Irish Times. Halloween, it looks like it could go by the board, but this idea that children are resilient and they'll be grand, she doesn't agree with it. I wonder, do you? They've missed their communions, they've missed their confirmations, they've missed their birthday parties, they've missed their holidays, they've missed all sorts. And there's a tendency to say, ah, they will be fine, they're young, they'll be grand, they'll adapt. And a lot of them will, but some of them won't, which is the point that Jen is making. 1850-715-996. Kieran says, if a person can't wear a mask because of health issues, then what the hell are they doing in a shopping centre in the first place? Endangering their lives? Why not get someone to do your shopping? And Tesco shouldn't be handing out those lanyards. It's too easy to abuse. They may end up in court if people get infected with COVID. Thank you, says Kieran. Well, you may not have anybody else to do your shopping. That could be a problem for people. What if you live alone? What if you don't have anybody else left in the world? That trip to the shopping centre might be your only chance to get your bread and milk and eggs and all of that. Uh, As regards the lanyards, I don't know. Not every disability is visible. And someone who, for sensory reasons, can't wear a mask. And like 
the doctor said well ago, Dr. Mike Thompson said there are very, very few people who genuinely can't. But for those, we have to have some provision. 1857-15996 on the Opera House. Anybody know what's happening with Opera House refunds? I've been phoning, but there's no reply. That's not the first message we've had in that regard. Opera House refunds. There must be thousands of tickets in the system that people want to be refunded for, uh, for shows that might or might not be rescheduled. We wonder what's happening there. The Everyman, we were talking to them last week, the Everyman are opening up with, with a schedule and great to see it, but we don't know what's happening with all the cancelled shows at the Opera House. Where can people get their refunds? Please say hello to all the boys and girls who are making their first Holy Communion in White Church. A special hello to my granddaughter Brooke. Love Nan and Mary and Gra- Nan Mary and Grandanil. Thanks, PJ. And there's a few more of them in there. Uh, a lot of the communion's been rescheduled and confirmation's been rescheduled. We're supposed to happen Saturday. Are not happening now. They're happening this week, just in case of a lockdown, which kind of goes against the spirit of everything, really. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Let's find out next what's happening. On Spike Island. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Every day, washing and drying. Done within an hour. Selfservicelaundry.ie The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 96. On Quartz 96FM. Uplift.ie has a petition going at the moment to Spike Island Development Company and Cork County Council. The petition calls for the immediate reinstatement of Karen Doyle and Linda Lyons to their positions as kiosk workers for Spike Island Tours. And it says, having lobbied for safe working conditions during a global pandemic, the Workers' Trade Union Unite took on Spike Island Management and won basic toilet and sanitation rights that had previously been denied to the workers. They have now been dismissed from their employment at the kiosk on Kennedy Pier. This is a blatant form of victimisation. No worker should suffer for standing up for their rights. And that is the petition to reinstate Karen Doyle and Linda Lyons. Earlier this morning, I spoke to Karen about the situation. So, Karen, before I ask you where this situation stands now, just give us a little history lesson. How did you come into conflict, as it were, with management at Spike? Um, Morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on just to explain to the listeners about what is going on. I'm sure there might be a little bit of confusion out there. Um, So, we're all living through, as you know, a global pandemic. Mm. Um, Myself and my colleague, Linda, work at the kiosk on Kennedy Pier, um, I'm. This is my third year working there, and it's Linda's fifth year. And Linda's also a tour guide on the island. And it's important to stress that point as well that um, she's 
she's full time with me in the kiosk, but she also does um, tour guiding. Okay. Um, so for the last number of years, um, in that little kiosk, we have been lobbying our managers for uh, toilet facilities. They aren't there presently. Just a small little hut, I suppose, want a better word, yeah. um, that we work from, right? And uh, like three years ago, when I started there, I think the business was really just a kind of kicking off big time then. Yeah. Not just in Ireland, but kind of people were getting to know about this spectacular island um, globally, you yes. know? Yes. Um, so, so we were really starting to see business develop and grow, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, however, the, the side to that being busy means that, um, you know, you're under a bit of pressure and going to the loo, which is a natural yeah. thing. For where, where do you go if you need the loo? So during that time, what we were doing was we were heading over to the local hotel, the Commodore Hotel, you might be familiar with it. Yeah. Um, it's a fair distance away from the kiosk, you know, so just imagine, you know, so you, but anyway, this is what we, we did. Um, I think in 2019, um, numbers really, really grew. So I say Spike Island took between eighty and 90,000 visitors. A phenomenal number that is the Cove and Spike Island. Amazing. Fantastic. Um, however, given the volume, given the numbers, it became more and more difficult for us um, to leave the hut. That That is just the yeah. reality, PJ. We right? didn't have time to be nipping across we, we to the really hotel. Yeah. yeah, we really didn't. Um, it, it, it put us under savage pressure. Obviously, um, we were continuing our emails and our requests to have... Um, toilet uh, installed um, we knew that there was a new kiosk being made for us um, a proper facility which is great um, a proper office um, somewhere where we could have a cup of tea that kind of stuff you know and we were talking to the person in charge of making that um, developing that and one of the things that we had been requesting obviously was for toilet facilities mm-hmm. um, now what the excuse was was that the Port of Cork wouldn't allow for any plumbing to happen on the pier head. Right. And you know what? We actually accept accepted that, right? We were, you know, we said, okay, fair enough. We would accept some sort of, um, you know, chemical toilet or whatever modern uh, version that they have yeah. would suffice. Um, but we were getting absolutely no repeats. Um, unfortunately, um, we really weren't. Um, despite all our best efforts uh, to to ask management to request to every avenue that yeah. you can imagine we went and we exhausted. So this year happened and it's been an unprecedented year for every single worker and every person out there. Um, we were due back to work on in February. Um, we went back, we had our induction day as normal. Mm. Unfortunately with the COVID everybody went into lockdown yeah. and like every other worker we were off work until the 29th of June this year. Yeah. Right, so you, you you didn't work throughout the whole spring and into the summer, no? Exactly, right. So coming up to the 29th of June, we were again brought back to the island, obviously to be given health and safety training, which all workers undertook. And on that day, we again raised a very, very important issue now, and it became quite serious for both myself and Linda. Um, yeah. You know, that, that we had this facility because, uh, you know, Sanitation we no being key in a pandemic. Being absolutely key. Yeah. And no longer being able to have access to the Commodore Hotel toilets because obviously they would be used there for residents, which yeah. is 
totally understandable. So um, we we said this to our managers, and they said it was a non-runner. It wasn't going to happen. Um, we asked them, could we? They were blaming then at that point Porter Cork mainly for this, right? And funding, lack of funding. Hold on, funding. did you not even have a facility to wash your hands, as we're all being told to do many times a day? Oh, yes. <laughs> this is where it gets uh, quite interesting. Um, we were we, we lobbied our managers anyway again. We asked, could we write to the Porter Cork and to the Board of Management. They gave us permission to do that and we did that. The hand washing facilities that we were told and the toilet facilities that we were told to use then um, after we had done this were, and was put into our contracts by the way, it's a cold water tap attached to a railing on the pier head. Now that cold water tap PJ is normally used by the fishermen to wash out their buckets after they've done fishing. Oh, for goodness sake. Okay, now this is what we were told to use. Um, during Which, the by the way, goes against the HSC instruction to wash your hands in warm, soapy water. Of course. I mean, PJ, I mean, in, in ordinary times, who was going to do that? Yeah. You know, um, and we were also told then that we, we were to use the public toilets um, that are in the promenade or we could use the toilets in the public library um, or the Centra toilets. Um, now, Centra had to refuse that and rightly so because they had closed their toilets to the public. We were in no way going to use the public toilets for obvious reasons. Yeah. And when we approached the library and the women in the library are fantastic and so kind but they did express concern that we were going in there having, now you can imagine PJ, of all the workers in the town the workers in the kiosk deal with more visitors en masse at any given moment if you can understand right? because they're they're heading off so we would be genuinely frontline tourism workers dealing with hundreds of people hundreds at a go and not just the people and, and the people that would be going to Spike Island to visit but all the people that want to go to Spike Island to visit So, so where, do we, where do we stand now coming forward a little bit Linda? So um, what's happened now and I must just give you this little timeline of events that we found quite um, shocking and a little bit sinister um, First of all we were given just a four days notice Okay, so on the Tuesday, the 22nd of September, the Board of Management in uh, County Hall wrote to um, Unite and they asked them to cease and desist from making further contact with our manager. On Wednesday, the 23rd, Unite replied to that and they said they would adhere to the request, um, but they wanted to make it clear that they would not cease and desist from representing their members. Mm-hmm. And on Thursday, the 24th, we received our letters of termination without proper notice. So, you know, it, it, it's, to us, it's very clear um, and pretty obvious that they wanted us out and gone. And I believe, and Linda believes, this is because of the ruckus we made about the conditions. So you believe you've been sacked for looking for a toilet and a place to wash your hands? And for going public on that issue. And um, that's what I believe, yeah. And that's what Linda believes. And what you have to understand as well, that during the summer, 
on the 4th of August, we were also threatened that if we didn't sign our contract by the 10th of August, the contract that stated we were to use the tap to wash our hands and the public toilet, and that if we were not to sign, if we did not sign that contract by August the 10th, we would be dismissed. So we'd already been previously threatened. Yeah. Right? So that was August the 4th we got that email. Then on August the 5th, our manager emailed us, and I must call out the HSA here too, Paige, and I don't think that they should be allowed to get away with this, and I do think there are very serious questions to answer. Myself and Linda um, wrote to the HSA and made a formal complaint um, because we really were wanting help and we wanted somebody to help us. Mm-hmm. And we were told, all workers are told that, you know, you go here and this will be done. And we did. Uh, and on the 10th of July, the HSA arrived at Cove and headed over on the ferry spike without having spoken to Linda or myself. In fact, we're still waiting them uh, to reply to us and to speak to us. They headed over to Spike Island. They investigated the place. They listened to our manager. So after we were threatened on the 4th of August, on the 5th of August, our manager wrote us an email stating, and I'm going to read now what he said. I was aware of your issue with the operation in the kiosk as per the complaint made to the HSA. Following the HSA visit, they have confirmed to Spike Island Development Company that measures provided by Spike Island Development Company regarding facilities in Cove for staff are acceptable. This matter is now closed. As per the other email that was sent to us on the 4th of August, mm. you will not be able to continue in employment with Spike Island Development Company beyond Monday 10th unless a signed contract is returned. So I just wanted to make that clear, PJ. This isn't, like, there, there is a, a timeline of events here that I want and Linda wants the public to be aware of. Um, and I think that that is very, very important um, for us. And it's important that everybody see um, what this all-male board of management put us through and the stress and strain that they caused us and our families um, that we had to work. You know, we'd like to know um, why this board members thought it was acceptable um, that kiosk employees um, had no toilet in their workplace. We'd like to know that. We'd like to know why the board of management thought it was acceptable that we should use a dirty cold water tap um, on the on the railing of a pier to wash our hands during a global pandemic um, while we had to deal with hundreds of tourists every day. And these are very serious questions that do remain unanswered. Um, and as I said already, not to mention the HSA role in all of this. Um, where, where, where do you stand right now, uh, Karen? Because you, you're both out of the job, and I know that your union yeah. unite is. Are, are you our taking union this unite. further? If we hadn't gone to our union unite when we received that um, first threat about our jobs being gone, we obviously contacted unite um, the union to to help us. We're, we're members, and they played a blinder for us, and I can only say how wonderful they are and have been in supporting us throughout all of this. Within a number of days of us contacting them, we got our port and it was a huge victory for us, I can tell you, to see that arrive on the pier on August the 13th. Um, I, I was blown away. Now, what they gave us, BJ, is the lowest of the low grade of port but you know what? It sufficed and we were grateful for it. Um, we're not out to attack anybody here, mm. PJ. So United got you a portaloo. 
big Alistair Portaloo and they have been defending us ever since. And, and it's since they got the Portaloo now that you find yourselves out of a job. Yeah. I mean, there you go. I mean, the, the kiosk will remain opened. Myself and Linda have never finished work in the September before. We have always worked the, the autumn um, right through actually until the first weekend or the last weekend in November. Um, that That's our normal work yeah. practice. Um, so it's very, very sad. It was a very sad day the other day having to walk away from that. My colleague, um, she was so upset. I heard her cry for the first time. Yeah. And I'm sorry, now I just get emotional thinking about it. But <clears throat> it is just beyond belief um, that they have been allowed to get away with this. At the end of the day, PJ, none of them have lost their jobs. They have not been sacked for the debacle that they caused us. But we do. We're gone. And that is no way to treat workers. We do our best every single day for this town or for tourism. We love it. Yeah. We love our town and we love Spike Island. Mm. And tomorrow now, um, we are going to gather on the pierhead peacefully and in respect of our own jobs. And we're going to call to be reinstated. We have called to be reinstated in our jobs. And, you know... Do you have any grounds here with the WRC or anywhere like that? Well, our legal um, team in Unite um, will will be um, putting forward that. Now, what they have done, and I know they've written to the board and to our management, um, calling on us to be reinstated immediately tomorrow morning um, at nine o'clock. We want to be back in work. That's what we want, PJ. You know, um, and we're calling on the people of COVID to continue their absolute fantastic support to us which we are so deeply appreciated of. I, You know me PJ, I'm out there fighting different causes the last number of years I never ever thought I genuinely never thought that I would be fighting this one okay. um, for a bloody toilet, I never did but here I am and sometimes the battles choose us, um, you know, and maybe because of this, just maybe because of us standing our ground on this issue, other workers might take strength and okay. realise that there is a power in working together. There's definitely a power in being part okay. of you. Karen, I will leave it there for now and uh, see where it goes. Okay. Thank right. you so much, PJ. If you look at the safety, health and welfare at work legislation dating back to 2007-2008, and you go to Section 20, and this is in relation to Karen and her colleague, an employer, Section 20, an employer shall provide, maintain and keep in a clean state, adequate and suitable sanitary and washing facilities for the use of employees, an adequate number of lavatories and wash basins with hot and cold running water in the vicinity of workstations, restrooms, changing rooms and rooms housing showers, and separate use of lavatories and wash basins for men and women. There's a whole long list there under Section 20. Thank you, Kieran of that act in, 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 in 2007. So it was an absolute slam dunk just to get them a loo and some warm water. So why have they lost their jobs? 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot, now located at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Coal, gas, kiln-dried wood and briquettes for collection or delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie Cork's 96FM is now streaming even more music choice. More music choice. Cola, cola. 
Check out the Hit Mix Online for fresh new music. Keep on dancing like you ain't got a choice. And stream the all-new Fit Mix for your workout. Listen on your phone and smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go, go, go to 96fm.ie. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Court's 96FM. Hmm, it would appear there are quite a number of problems with tickets for the Opera House and tickets, I think, for Live at the Marquee. I'll get to those comments in a second. But Greg Canty, Greg, we've heard a lot of incidents of people burning, like I said, seats and bins in places like Ballancolic Regional Park. But it's gone to a new low. Good morning. Yeah, absolutely, PJ. And, you know, you walk past these, this fantastic facility, those beautiful benches and you're in despair watching them, you know, where old people, you sit and women with their kids, you know, walking around or everyone just taking a bit of a breather. It's a fantastic resource. But, yeah, this weekend, I swear to God, I, I, my eyes welled up uh, to see a life boy just burnt, melted to the ground. And, and this is the very spot where just two months ago, a 38-year-old passed away in that river. Yeah, you said, and, the, you put a picture on, on your Twitter and it's just there near that, place where people occasionally swim whether they should or not they do and there's a life by that and you can actually see it's, it's just been melted and burnt <sighs> yeah like what are we at and you know, some people have a, a terrible upbringing and they're very angry and they take all of that stuff out on public property we can make all the excuses under the sun and you kind of go okay there's big social issues that we need to solve but this now is messing with people's lives. This is a, a different ball game. And while it is a terrible story and a shocking thing that anyone would do, instead of us all saying that's terrible and we move on to the next story, and I've got a genuine question, what can we do about it? You know, how do we bring people's attention to stupid behaviour like this? Is it something that, you know, the, the priest should be saying from the pulpit? Uh, you know, every single day, should all the classrooms be brought down to just have a look at what this is and have a big discussion? Do, do we need to get this into the community's psyche about this kind of thing that goes on? Yeah. Someone knows someone that knows someone who knows who went down there with their their tub of petrol and set this thing on fire. And it's a really weird thing because it makes it sound like this park is a terrible place with lots of anti-social behaviour. Wait, there's a whole thing. I've never seen it. So it's obviously individuals who come down there specifically when the park is closed and there's no one around to, to, to do these stupid things. We, we get uncomfortably used to hearing about benches being damaged and bins being damaged. But this... I've never seen this before, have you? No, I, I haven't. I haven't. And, you know, you see the little message, uh, a, a boy uh, saves a life. We get that straight away. We're not stupid. We know exactly what they're there for. Yeah. But to deliberately come down and think that's that's a good idea, that's a trick, that's a bit of fun. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure they all dance around it for a few minutes in the dark when there's no one around, roaring and cheering, thinking this is the best thing ever, and off they go. Yeah. Um, I'm just blown away. There's an old saying, I think it comes from Africa, and I read it many years ago, and I think um, Father Peter McVerry, a man from whom we all have the highest respect, quoted it once as well. It's an old saying, it says that the children not embraced by the village will burn it 
to feel the warmth of the fire. Which, which is right to what you said at the start. Some kids have a very hard background, very hard upbringing. It turns them bitter. It turns them angry. Does, does any of that explain this away? I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. Um, I, I, I get the benches saying they're angry. They want to take it out on some object. Um, there's no... The, the, that life boy will save someone's life. That, that life boy, unfortunately, <laughs> couldn't save someone's life two months ago because whatever happened, they didn't catch them on time. But, but this has just um, this has just gone to a new level. But I do think, or instead of shaking our heads and saying it's terrible, I do think, as residents, as people in the community, we need to take responsibility for it and. Should we be asking ourselves, Greg, apart from the fact that these people need to be rounded up and punished, and unfortunately the chances are that they're probably so young that the system is virtually powerless to do anything, but should we be asking ourselves, what is causing them to be that broken? Or is that going too much on the hand-wringing side of things and not just round them up and punish them? It's probably a combination of both, PJ. There's obviously some serious social issues that would make any rational being behave in such a way. And if they are in that, that broken, well, again, as a community, do we need to take responsibility for some of that thinking and how people are? Yeah. And because my immediate reaction was they should be locked up, blah, 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 etc. Because yeah. it's but on the same line as the people who burst up defibrillators. Yeah, exactly. And in the same breath, you can, you know, you walk into all the facilities and you see defibrillators that people in the community have chipped in for and fundraise for and everything else. Now, I, I do think we all need to maybe fundraise to hand a cheque to Cork City Council as it is now to replace those benches. And maybe if it's come out of the community pockets, we might take a bit more responsibility for it. Yeah. yeah. But, but something more has to happen to to, to make these young people realise what they're doing um, and, and, and for us to kind of dig under these issues a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, Find out what, what, well, okay, the, the, the reason is kind of important, but catching the, the culprit is, is equally so. Greg, thank you very much. That's Greg from Balancholic, Balancholic Regional Park. We've all heard the stories of equipment, gym equipment, maybe even damaged, or benches, or, or bins, and it's come all over the place. Playground equipment. But when you're going after life-saving stuff like a life boy next to a place where people swim or when you're going and you're damaging a defibrillator that could save somebody's life, like what is broken in you? What is wrong with you? And where do we draw the line with the hand-wringing barrister or social worker who'll stand up in court and say, oh, judge, he came from an awful unfortunate background? Who gives a toss? Burning down life, boys. Please, like. 1850-715-996. Just to, to wrap up today, or to get close to wrapping up, there was a story going around in the last couple of days which was bizarre in the extreme. And there was a rumour that seals were going to be shot out at sea. Like, what is that about? Podrick Hoare, who's the environment correspondent of The Examiner. Uh, Podrick, good morning. What's the story with these seals? Who's shooting seals or what's happening? Uh, good morning, Peter. It seems to be uh, you would get perhaps um, applications to the department uh, for uh, permission to um, humanely or, 
I, I would say, is there ever a humane way to do it to uh, perhaps uh, eliminate the problem, uh, to, to, to say euphemistically, uh, to eliminate the problem of um, competition for basically for stocks of fish? Um, it's been, according to, to fishermen, uh, would say, or some fishermen would say that um, the seals are uh, almost predatory towards um the fish stocks in the ocean and therefore get in the way of, of catches and yeah. it should be a natural process to be able to uh, to, to, to cull some numbers uh, now and then. Seal, seals eat fish to survive but they exactly. tend to do it one or two at a time not half exactly. a ton at a time. Like. Absolutely, so it is, it, it is a kind of uh, um, it's a bit disingenuous that people, experts say it's an actual myth that it's, you know, seals are, are, are uh, the cause of uh, fish stocks being depleted, that it's actually overfishing. And 300 scientists, including more than 50 Irish scientists, have called on the uh, EU Commission to introduce um, measures to actually stop the overfishing. They say that's the real uh, issue. So are, uh, are we not, facing not the prospect seals. of fellas on trawlers with guns shooting seals? Well, <laughs> according to, to, to Minister Darrell O'Brien, and again, this is this can be it can be kind of convoluted. Darrell O'Brien is is in um, housing planning and local government, so what he's got to do with seals it seems to be a bit <laughs> a of a head scratch just how messed up is it all up there? But going absolutely. But but Darrell O'Brien, he was asked, and it usually comes from from um, quite parliamentary questions from the likes of Michael Healy Ray and people like that, who might have uh, fishing constituents who would ask him uh, ask him to ask the minister directly. Uh, could we, uh, you know, could we go ahead with shooting seals, etc.? And the minister has said. Um, I must say is that he's explicitly said no. We don't want to to shoot any or call any seals by shooting them. But he did admit is that they are looking at a pilot scheme um, towards killing uh, killing off seals uh, while not a mass call that you know perhaps fishermen would be allowed to uh, to to do it here and there. As such, yeah. that's no. my reading of the issue. But he has said is that given this is Minister uh, O'Brien, given the potential safety concerns arising from using high-powered rifles on moving platforms. <laughs> there is concern concern about this approach. I mean, uh, that, that's a kind of uh, a Captain Obvious statement. Can I let you know what this brings to mind? <laughs> it's like it's like Killer Scully. Well, it, I'm kind of thinking is that, you know, shooting at the best of times is, a, as we know, a dangerous practice, to put it mildly. When you're on a moving boat, or, you know, that this is, it, again, perhaps fishermen could explain this better, how you'd manage to do it, but it doesn't seem to be the, the, the safety first approach that, um, that I would take. So I don't think it's going to be good for people, and I don't think it's good for, going to be good for seals. If this on, on a serious note, though, on a serious note, like, this is not the problem. A couple of seals, I, I watched during the summer on my holidays, I watched a beautiful seal on the rocks up in the, the Antrim coast, and just diving in to catch fish for his breakfast. But he's not damaging anybody's fish stocks. No, and, and to use car parlance, it's his gas, you know, is that he lives there. The sea lives there. Why Why should we be able to dominate um, yeah, our crazy. animal population? But, but it seems to be just like everything else, is that we've overfished down through the decades. Uh, we're way over our quotas. Yeah. Um, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. But shooting so the shooting seals isn't going to yeah, stop it. Isn't going to it, stop. Body, I'm going to have to go because the time has the time has caught me. But I just wanted to get the the basis of that. Some Egypt wants to start shooting seals off a trawler uh, to cut down on overfishing. Give me a break. I mean, can this country get any crazier? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.